the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 2, we have a double shot of Sam Stone today. This is wonderful. Sam Stone is a political consultant in town. He is a radio host in his own right. Uh, He has a show, Breaking Battlegrounds. You can hear it here on 960 AM every Saturday at 9 AM in the morning. And he has a great Twitter feed, Twix feed, sorry, uh, at Sam the Paul, P-O-L. Sam, how are you today, sir? Uh, better than Fanny Willis. You know, I was watching some of that. So for the audience, Fanny Willis is the DA in Georgia, the Fulton County District Attorney, who is going after Trump and company for election interference back in, uh, I guess, 2020. And uh, it's been revealed or alleged that she has been having a uh, untoward relationship with uh, the special prosecutor she hired uh, and paid for to prosecute, to be the lead prosecutor in the case against Donald Trump. And um, she's she's been on trial today herself, uh, having to answer questions about it. I don't know who her attorney on this is, Sam. You've probably been watching some of this. I would have told her to strike a different tone. I don't know about you. Oh, my goodness, yes. I, I don't, you know, her attorney and her are really, frankly, I thought foolish to let her go on the stand because she is just torching her own credibility up there every single minute. One of her close former friends testified that this relationship has been ongoing since 2019. And what I find particularly funny is if you go back to 2020 when she was elected, she did a big sit down on TV where she said, oh, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> Why should be people having... elect you? The question was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And she says, I'm not going to be having sex with, with uh, people in the office yeah. and I'm not going to be taking money. And here she is. Yeah carrying on at that time an affair and then you know in this is alleged and it it appears very likely uh that she massively unilaterally chose to overpay her paramour for this legal work and then he was kicking back the money to her in the form of fancy vacations and gifts and all this stuff uh you know the corruption that's on display and her only real defense as she went in front of a, a church in Atlanta there and said is, well, I'm a black woman, so I should be allowed to get away with this. Well, that's right. She said she said that in so many words. She said they wouldn't be coming after me if I weren't black. And the truth of the matter is we wouldn't be coming after you if you weren't engaging in inappropriate behavior as a prosecutor or as an attorney in a case and lying to the public. I'm so sick and tired of this. I don't know what the right phraseology you prefer is, Sam, but this this perceived racial or ethnic shield that uh, George Soros's defenders have used. Well, you can't criticize George Soros. That's anti-Semitic. He's Jewish. You can't criticize Ilan Omar. Uh, she's a Muslim minority woman. Uh, woman. Um, you can't criticize. I am so sick and tired 
of the idea that you can engage in nefarious behavior and then be immune from criticism. Criticism, by the way, your friend and mine, Larry Elder, doesn't get a shield for. Criticism, by the way, your friend and mine, Dennis Prager, doesn't get a, get, get a shield from. One of them is black. One of them is Jewish. Seems to well, me the left Supreme is pretty Court? hard on them. How about, how about how they treat Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas? Fair enough. Fair enough. Nor do they ever ask for these shields, by the way. Is that the right phraseology we want to use? Some kind of immunology, some kind of vaccine from criticism that just because you happen to have been born to a certain class or race or gender or uh, in a certain faith tradition, you get to do whatever you want. That takes the freedom of exercise of religion clause just a little farther than anyone ever intended it, it seems to me. Yeah, absolutely it does. I think that's generally the right word. I mean, obviously all of this devolves from critical theory-based thinking. Yep. Um, you know, and I read a great piece the other day, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm forgetting the author to attribute it to, but who said, you know, when it comes to all this stuff, Gen X got it right, that if you look back to the 90s, we really got the race relations right, where people were putting aside race and following the Dr. King maxim of regarding people by the, their, the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And we were very quickly moving into a post-racial period until the adherence of this philosophy, which has been promoted by all those people you just mentioned. I mean, George Soros is a major promulgator of this, as are so many others, has stepped in to tear this country apart. And it, to me, it's just absolutely criminal. You know, what should be on trial here is not Donald Trump. Uh, what should be on trial is the entire ideology of critical race theory and all the neo-Marxist garbage that's flowed from it. That really is what it is. It is neo-Marxist garbage because all they have done, the neo-Marxists, is replaced the original Marxist um, dialectic and division between classes and imposed on it the issue of race. And, which, which is even yeah, worse right. and more dangerous. I agree with that know. because one is fluid and one is not, right? I mean, that's, yes. yes, one is... Well, and that's why they had to abandon class, right? Is because it's, it's really hard in truth to sell Americans on the idea that there isn't true upward mobility in this country. I think if you look at the richest hundred people in America today, there's a handful of them that are legacy wealth, but the vast majority are self-made people. Correct. I remember when I was working for uh, Jack Kemp one day, he was doing a debate with, um, well, another guy who got in trouble with a paramour, uh, John Edwards. Remember Senator Edwards? I think he was the oh, VP yeah, candidate yeah. in 04 with John Kerry, Kerry Edwards. Yeah. Yep. They were doing a debate, and John Edwards was talking about uh, the poor, the the poor in this country, and the and uh, and the poverty rate in this country, and the permanent underclass. And Jack was making the point that he makes a categorical error when he talks like that, as does most of the left, because they're talking about individuals who they view as permanently ensconced in that position when, as you track many an individual, many a family, you can see that they are different people at different points and different levels of income over the span of their life. Economic penury is not a permanent condition any more than it's an immutable condition. Your point about the Forbes 400 is a great one. Over, well, for, and, over half of the Forbes 400 is not inherited wealth. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
you know, there, there are so many pernicious elements to this ideology of theirs and so many avenues that it has taken. You look at everything that's going on with our justice system, for instance, right? Yes. I, I, as I tweeted out today, you cannot have, you do not have a jury of your peers if you are a Republican being tried in a court in New York City or Washington, D.C., or any of these places, you're facing an inquisition. Yes, that's right. Uh, so whenever a Republican is put on trial in any of these, you're abs- that, 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 that's, for, that's for certain. And it's also for certain when it comes down to, you know, a dispute uh, among the races. But let's let's stick on on a, a really important point you made, which is the race thing is worse than the economic thing. I agree, primarily because we learned what can happen when this um, when this is unrestrained circa the years 1933, 1945. And really, in, in a lot of other places, that was just that was just the apex oh, well, that I thought recently. we learned from. I thought we learned from this. Yeah, I thought we did, too. Um, you know, I really felt like at the time, if, if people remember the Balkan conflict when Yugoslavia yep. broke up, yep. um, you know, creating the term Balkanization, which was essentially uh, just tribalization, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. was people splitting along racial and subracial lines um, and dehumanizing each other in the process in the exact same way we see occurring here, coming from the American left now. And it led to one of the nastiest, bloodiest conflicts of the last Correct. 40, 50 years. Correct. And I really thought and hoped at that time that, that that would be the last gasp of that sort of thinking and the bloodshed that flows from it. And yet we watch all of these countries heading down this same road right now and countries that were supposedly the bulwark against that type of ideology. This is one of those countries. Yes. Yeah. The U.S., Europe. I mean, all, you know, the countries that are falling the fastest were the ones that were supposed to be the 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 dam against this tide. And this is such an important issue. It's so important. And I like your point about. Yeah, no, this is so important. Let's stick with it. Let me take a quick commercial break and come back on it. I want to talk to you about where it comes from. I want to talk to you about the level of perniciousness this um, this uh, represents. I want to talk to you about a lot of things. Sam Stone is my guest. He and I will be right back. Follow him on Twix at Sam the Paul, P-O-L. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Coming to you from the 960 Patriots studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Clinton consultant and radio host Sam Stone is my guest. Sam, I get so angry about this race game uh, in America, and I don't know if you get as angry as I do. My sense is you do, and I'll tell you why I sense that. You you and I kind of grew up in similar households and circumstances and with similar kinds of parents, uh, Robert F. Kennedy-type liberals, Martin Luther King Jr.-type liberals. Yes. And we had it ingrained. I think we've had conversations along these lines before. We had it ingrained from the moment we were— uh, conscious, sentient, that um, that race means nothing and racism is one of the greatest evils. And we had shown, we were shown rabbis marching with Martin Luther King. And when we asked why rabbis would do that, they showed us what race divisions can do. And they showed us and taught us and used it as an entree point about Nazi Germany and the whole thing. So nothing really makes me angrier. But at bottom, Sam, when people engage in this 
this race consciousness or this notion that race makes some kind of meaningful difference between people or race matters, I just have a simple question. Do you and I have more in common with Jerry Nadler and Chuck Schumer or Larry Elder and Clarence Thomas? And isn't that the beginning and the end of the whole question? That is exactly the beginning and the end of the whole question. And there's no question at all that you and I both have far more in common with the Clarence Thomas uh, and with Larry Elder than we do with a Jerry Nadler or, or any of those folks on the left. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the fundamental thing, and, and it is exactly what you said, what you and I grew up with, was a world in which the only thing that mattered was how hard you tried. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, de- really how decent you were, how hard you tried. Right. Decency yeah, and I, effort. Right, right. 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 Yeah. I, I don't want to leave decency no, out. No, no, no. It. It's implied. Me, it's implied. In a certain, yeah, exactly. In a certain sense, that decency is part of trying yep. to be a good yep. person. Yep. yep. Right? Yeah, it's a struggle. Sure. Um, you bet. And so I think this idea that we're abandoning this struggle and, and doing it in a way that makes avatars out of the worst elements of society. So in other words... When we're talking race in in the broader national discussion these days, white people are being tarred by a tiny minority of actual white supremacists and, and racists, and, and we're all being painted with that brush. The black population in this country is being tarred with the brush of a tiny minority of the black population. The vast majority of black people in this country are middle class and up. They live very... You know, they live lives that are essentially undistinguishable in, in any meaningful way from the lives of their white neighbors. You, you cannot define them by the way that these, these folks on the left want to define them. And I think it is incredibly bigoted to, to, that they do that, that, that we paint with this broad stroke brush. The left paints with this broad stroke brush these ideas that the very worst elements of of society should be representative of the broader society. Well, bless you for saying that. And let me now focus on something attendant to what you uh, attendant to this on what you said earlier. You said you thought by and large Gen X got it mostly right. And I agree, and I've not heard someone make that point that way before. I was thinking about it as you said it. Gen X would be the portion of the population that was born pretty much around the year of the Civil Rights Act and when Martin Luther King, that, that would have been the earliest stages. So they grew up with, uh, I guess it would include you and my and, and my age group as well, basically 1965 to the Reagan period, uh, roughly. That's yeah, 65 to 80, okay. kind of a okay. small generation, if you will. Some people go like to 84, okay. 85. So we grew up with that King-Kennedy ethic, if you will. It was embedded yeah. in everything we did. And do, and it changed. It changed. Uh, Larry Elder, speaking of, had a piece this week speaking about the NFL and it's dividing us by race. I'll just, I just want to read you uh, two sentences of his and then let you comment if I may. America's three largest cities, New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago, have black mayors, even though none of these cities has a majority black population. L.A. elected its first black mayor in 1973, a man who went on to be elected three more times. Blacks had become presidents of the American Medical Association and the American Bar Association. 
Just a sampling. At least four black American athletes have become billionaires. Woods, Jordan, Johnson, James. More in the pipeline. Where's the NFL on the real problems facing the black community, which is poor urban schools and fatherlessness? They dare not touch those issues, do they, Sam? No. And, you know, something happened in the last couple of days. So right before this this Super Bowl parade shooting in Kansas City, Uh, the Brady Center, yep. you know, the, the yep. gun control group came out with a study that they had published. I think it was with Pew that showed that 60 percent of the homicides, firearm homicides in this country are perpetrated by African-Americans. 60 percent. OK, 60 percent. Now, they've immediately taken that down. Okay. Right. Right. I don't know if they took it down before or after the shooting. Yeah. Um, which we now are starting to learn was just, you know, a, a beef between some black folks in that crowd. Right. And they want to get rid of this. Here's why it's worse. Their their take was, well, 14 percent of the country is is committing 60 percent of these homicides. That's not the case. Right. It's not 14 percent. First off, it's right. almost all men. Right. So cut that number right. in half. So now at least at in seven. half. We're now at least at seven per, or at most seven percent. Go on. Yeah. And right. subtract the seventy percent right. plus of right. African Americans who are middle class right. and up and engage right. in crime at rates no different than than white folks in this country. So we're now at like maybe thirty percent of seven percent. Keep going. Yep. So now now you're down at two to three percent right. of the population. Right. right. Committing sixty percent of the homicides. Right. Right. And yet we can't have that discussion. You and I are treading on thin ice just to point out those facts. Right. Right. That is a huge problem. And 80 percent of that population, however, is underfamilied and undereducated. Absolutely. Actually, I'd say it's probably more than 80 percent. The underfamily thing, but the undereducated. Oh, yeah, we're 90 plus. Is, yeah. is universal. I yeah, mean, fair so you have I, I think at the Chicago public schools, they just came out with the data. They had something like 32 schools where not a single kid was proficient in reading or math. So the interesting thing, I'm going to take a break here too, Sam, coming back on Gen X, because it now it now becomes a question as to if we had it right from roughly, I mean, we didn't have it right the moment 1965 happened, but as if we were getting it right from 65 Call it forward. 85. Yeah. We got it right from about 85 forward. Yeah, okay. So if we had it right from 85 forward, we have to ask what changed. Can we talk about that on the next segment? Yep, we absolutely we can. Sam Stone is my guest. He is a political consultant. He has his own radio show here every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., Breaking Battlegrounds. And he has a great Twix account. Follow him at Sam the Paul, P-O-L. Sam Stone and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Gen X got a lot right on our culture, Sam Stone, my guest, says. I think that includes the music, Sam. Music from 1965 to 1985. You on board with oh, that? Oh, I, I would. I would go right through the 90s. I, <laughs> okay. I think you know. I, maybe that's me because I look. I, I am a huge 90s rock, 80s, 90s rock guy. I love every yeah rock music from the 60s through the 90s. All of it hits my soul. 
So maybe I'm a little biased on the, on the music front. No, I think we're pretty good. I would take half of the 90s rock and almost all of 90s country. So I can do the 90s with you. If you'll give me country, yeah, I, I'll I, give you rock. I would, gen- <laughs> I would generally agree. What I would look at in the 90s are bands that were real musical. Oh, yeah. um, Hootie and the Blowfish, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, add in things like Metallica and uh, Guns N' Roses, <laughs> right? That, that were great musicians. Yeah, they were all like drummers. The, the you know, oh, the no, Clash is yeah, one of the great yeah. guitarists. Oh yeah, all those things. I think when music started going bye bye was when the artists no longer were musicians. That's right. That's right. They were machines. Yeah. 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 They were machines. They're vocalists for machines, yeah. and, and you can be a great vocalist, and I can respect the heck out of that. Yeah. And, and you know, but I, I really think we lost something when we went away from the instrumentation. I agree. I agree. Uh, let's go back to the issue of race and the generations. So we got this uh, by about 1985, which sounds about right. It took about a little less than a generation to get it right. It took us uh, 20 years or so. Uh, Never perfect, as no one is perfect, but it got us to a place we had never been before. Uh, It got us to a place, you agree with me, Sam, when you were having political arguments or discussions with people, um, you probably, like me, don't let me put words in your mouth, always thought that it would not be odd to have a black person elected president in this country. I never thought it was. But if you talk to a liberal or leftist, they always said it would never happen. And son of a gun, it happened twice. That did something to the left. That did something to them, I think. Irretrievable. I, I, I think it did. I, look, I blame the root cause of what we're dealing with now on, on two things. One is is more institutional, pernicious, and hard to deal with in time. Okay. Uh, the other one is Barack Obama's second term. Okay. Um, so when Obama came into office, you know, he came in with a, unite, a very united states behind him. Yep. A, a big victory. People felt, even people, you know, plenty of people, obviously conservatives, Republicans, didn't vote for him, uh, didn't love him. Whatever. By the way, some Nobody, did, though. Some did, precisely quite because— Quite a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite yeah. a few. Go ahead. He was a unifying figure in that first campaign. Yeah. And then he got into office, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you have Michael Brown, you know, the yeah. Michael Brown stuff yeah. and, and all this well, other yeah, stuff. Yeah, the Skip Gates cut stuff uh, with the yeah, cop Trayvon in Cambridge. Martin, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, all of this stuff, right, yep. that yep. He, he really got wrong in bad, bad ways. Yep. Um, and two, then that unleashed, and with federal help, federal money, that unleashed the worst academic theories in the history of the world. Correct. From the darkest corners of our universities, and they took over our universities. Correct. And now our university system, I truly can point at that as the root cause of every single major conflict and division that's occurring in this country. And in terms of actually educating people, they're doing a horrifically bad job. But in terms of turning people against each other, they're massively effective. Our university system needs to be cleaned out with a flamethrower. And then buried and then have salt poured over it. Yeah. And let's, you know, let's concrete it in and rebuild on the ashes. 
let me this was a short segment let me take the break and come back on this um because there's some interesting i mean uh, just some interesting pieces all around this um one of them is how much we have pushed people into the university system, which I believe is deliberate. That goes and attends to the whole issue of student debt and student debt bailouts. It goes to the whole issue of college and career readiness. There has been a deliberate move to push people into these institutions of George Orwellism. Sam Stone and I will talk about it when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Studios, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Sam Stone, consultant and radio host, my guest. By the way, that song we came in with uh, uh, from the um, from the Graceland album of Paul Simon, circa 1986, great example of someone who understood great musicianship in his music. I don't know if you're a Paul Simon fan or not, Sam, but he always had the best of the best musicians. You can hear it in the bass lines and in the horn lines of every song he does. Absolutely, without question. A true artist in every sense of the yeah, word. Yeah, and still, God bless him, still beating, still doing it. Uh, half deaf, though. Did you know that? He lost hearing in one side of his face. Uh, it, oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 kind of a challenge. But God bless him. Loved great musicians. Um Okay, the university system. I was talking to Bacha Unger-Sargon the other day, and she says all the Democratic Party has anymore is the university system. She said they are the conveyor belt of making Democrats. Now, that's probably too generous in a sense because it's not Democrats they're making. They're making out-and-out leftists for those that still have romantic views of a Democratic Party that once upon a time was, but probably it's very much an extinct species these days. Yeah, I think we've got to stop pretending that okay. the Democrat Party is the party of Kennedy because right. they've thrown every value of that generation of Democrats out the window. Including Kennedy. <laughs> Including yeah. Joe Lieberman. No, I, you can go down the line. You're absolutely right about that. Um, now, here's the other interesting thing. If people want to get a sense of how potent this force is, think about this. Circa when you were born, Sam, about 10 percent of the population of the United States had a college degree. Today, it's 40 percent. Think about that difference. That's a well, big damn difference. It is. And here's the thing. Probably realistically, given the shifts in society and the fact we're a more knowledge economy now than we were at that time, some increase is understandable. Sure. So if you said we went from 10 to 20 percent, sure. I would say that makes a very great deal of sense. Sure. But that 40 percent number, what that represents is that half of those people did not need to go to college and have frankly been hurt by it. They've sure. been hurt financially and they've been hurt intellectually yes. because they are being exposed to you know, it, there was a great uh, thing from from some parent testifying at a school board about her eight year old's class. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where they were spending. She tracked what they were doing and they were spending three full days a week teaching these kids a gender ideology. Right. 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 And, and her point was very simple. Are these kids so good at reading and so good at math that you have time for this? The right. scores don't say that. Right. 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 
and this is fundamentally the issue. They are creating a generation. I always love it when someone, you know, these younger generations now throw out something like, you know, OK, Boomer. Yeah. My response to that is, well, here's the thing. When the boomers went to school, we had the number one school system in the world. When you went to school, we have a school system that's worse than that of Lesotho. There are African countries that educate their kids far better than we do. So if you think you're superior to those people who came before you, I got another I got I got another take for you. Do you worry, Sam, that when we point this stuff out or this parent points this kind of thing out, do you worry that we're not having the same conversation with the person on the other side of that conversation? In other words, you and I and this parent think that education is about teaching a little geography, a little history, a little civics, a little math, a little English, never mind a lot. And that person we're talking to doesn't think that's what education is for. They have been drenched and entrenched with the theories of Paulo Ferrer and the uh, pedagogy of the oppressed. And they think the purpose of education is actually everything but that stuff. It is about upsetting apple carts. It is about overcoming um, nature. It is about challenging the status quo. That's what I worry about. I wonder if we're even on the same page with them. We are absolutely not on the same page with them at all. And I'm not, I don't actually believe at this point that most of these people are recoverable on their own. Okay. I think the system has to be absolutely torn to pieces and rebuilt, like we were talking about, starting with the universities. If you're a Republican governor, in almost every state, the Republican governor and or legislature have the power to essentially sweep the administration of your universities away. This is the public and state ones. Yes, you bet. Right. Yes. Yes. And that's what you have to do. Yeah. It's one of the great failings of the Doug Ducey administration that he used the uh, Board of Regents not to reform our universities or to address these growing problems, but just to reward friends. You know, I... uh... I uh, I sometimes retell stories, so if I've done this too often, let me know. But my favorite moment of 1967, the first year Ronald Reagan was governor of California, was a headline in the San Francisco Chronicle in the first month of his governorship. Headline was, Kerr out, Reagan wins. Kerr was the head of the Board of Regents in California, and Reagan campaigned in 1966 for governor on massively overhauling the Board of Regents of, uh, of of California. Kerr, the head of it, he got rid of it. big battle. But Reagan taught a lesson that too few governors, I think, took the lesson of. I think Ron DeSantis got the lesson. I don't know very many others who did. DeSantis got the lesson, and, and I think actually Abbott's kind of getting it. Okay, There are some indications that Texas is starting to, to look at this. You have these very specific moves targeting DEI that are happening in a handful of states. Yes. But they need to take it much, much further. Yes, they do. Uh, Look, the people in power at these universities know darn well what's been going on there. Yes, they do. And they... um, I'll take a break here, too, Sam. We'll pick up on the other side of the break. But they, by and large, like it. And I think what's happening with a lot of these boards of regents and administrators, frankly, I believe that they're intimidated and cowered by the faculty. I believe 
that they are intimidated by the faculty because I'll have you respond to this when we come back. The minute one or 38 professor stands up and calls you a racist or bigot, you're in a community that doesn't like that sort of thing. And you feel kind of silenced and ashamed and want to do anything you can not to be called that. It's that exploitation of an abuse of language. That's what it is. It's exploitation and abuse of language for the purposes of intimidation, academic intimidation. We'll pick up on that when we come right back. Portions of the show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have uh, an investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio with a lot of investment in you and a lot of flexibility for you where you can turn your income on or off. You can compound it. You, of course, get a monthly statement with no surprise. There are absolutely no fees, and there is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. But best of all, with Y-Refi, you can earn up a ten, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-YREFI24. Sam Stone has been our guest. We're talking higher ed um, and the problems it has caused, higher education and the problems it has caused society and culture at large. Um, Sam, I guess... The point I was kind of making is when a leftist faculty or group of faculty, or for that matter, students, you know, when they rise up against an administrator or a board of regents who might really have common sense in mind and call them epithets, racial or racial or, or political epithets, Nazi, fascist, racist, it's pretty intimidating to these guys and they and gals, and they don't know how to respond, so they just cave. You know. They do. You're you're absolutely right. And here's what bothers me about it. Hey, I think that one of my favorite novels that I've read is uh, The Red Badge of Courage uh-huh. by Stephen Crane. Yes. Um, you know, the story about a, a young Union soldier who flees the field of battle um, and overcome with his shame. He 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 really tries then to to put himself in a position where he's going to get shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. These folks are inadvertently, not through courage and not through desire to to be anything, they're putting themselves in this position to be shot by their students. Uh, The the fact that, and then they can, you know, show off their wounds and the fact that they capitulate it to them. I, I have a real problem with this. I think at the end of the day, these are the folks who have the keys. They have the keys to the door, the keys to the institution. Mm-hmm. When you have these professors who, who, who come out against you and start calling you a racist for not being one, mm-hmm. fire them. Mm-hmm. If they've got tenure, send them home, tell them they have no permission to publish, and the only thing they can do if they ever want to be heard from again is quit. Yeah, and, and buy out and, their contract with your endowment if you have to. Yep. There's plenty and of money for it, but quit rottening out. the minds of our, yes, 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 yes. Throw the kids out. You take those kids, throw them out of your university. Good. You don't need them. They're poisoning the entire system. Get rid of them. The total lack of courage by the academic industry is absolutely disfiguring to the future of this country. It's a nice sentence. Let me end the hour on that. You were going to stay with us a second hour, so we might want to talk a little bit more about this. We've got a lot to do. Sam Stone is my guest And he and I are going to do, a, as I say, a double shot of Sam Stone today. We'll be right back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.